Main Street to Wall Street, global business celebrity and former Fortune 100 C-suite executive Jeffrey Hazlett takes you inside the good, the bad, and the ugly of businesses today. Saddle up. It's time for All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Hey, my next guest is a storyteller by nature. How we tell a story can make the difference on how it's perceived by the masses. And we're certainly seeing that uh, in today's environment. Anyone can write a story, but not everyone can write a good story. So how can we become better wordsmith? How and what makes for a good story? That's what we're going to learn right now from this person who in the interview, I forgot to ask her, but she can actually write and read upside down. That's a good story. Now, she's an author, a speaker, a story coach. We're talking about Lisa Cron, and she can answer those questions and give us a few pointers on how to craft a story for the ages. It'll be more believed, and it will spread like wildfire if it's a great story. So, Lisa, welcome to All Business with Jeffrey Hazel. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you. Well, what makes for good storytelling? I'm a storyteller. You know, I'm in the Speaker Hall of Fame, and I got four books under my belt, and I like to tell stories. Is there a series? I, you know, I, let me ask before that. Could I? I kind of learn through listening to others, you know, and 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 through that that history I've learned. But is there a series of steps people should follow? Well, I mean, if you're talking about writing a story or telling a story, that's two sort of completely different things. But at the end of the day, they're both about the exact same thing, which is a, a viewpoint shift. In other words, when you're telling a story, whoever the main character is, whether it's about yourself or whether you're making up a story about someone else or even a story to change somebody's mind, story isn't about the things that happen in it which is a big mistake that speakers and writers make thinking that it's the plot, it's the external things that happen that have to be, you know, rip-roaring that pull people in. Story's actually about an internal change. Story's about how we change our mind about something, how a viewpoint shifts, and what makes that viewpoint shift is what's happening in the plot. So really pulling in and allowing us to see that change, and there are three sort of elements that need to be there in the very beginning. One is surprise. It needs to surprise us with something. You know, we thought this one thing was going to happen and something else happened instead. A pattern's broken. And then biologically that grabs us with with dopamine, it surges, which people think of as sort of the, you know, the pleasure hormone. But the truth is it's curiosity. It makes us want to go forward for that pleasure we're going to get when we find the answer to the question. And then the next thing that it has to have is some kind of conflict. And that doesn't necessarily mean external conflict, meaning some, you know, bad thing is happening on the surface, but internal conflict as whoever the story is about, whether it's a character or yourself, is sort of struggling with what to do given what's happening there. And that stimulates uh, cortisol, which makes us concerned. You know, like that's the, the stress hormone. How is this going to turn out? And the last piece, and I think this is something that can really easily go missing when people are writing and certainly telling stories, is vulnerability. It's like you have to be, the character has to be vulnerable. They could make a mistake. They might be making a mistake. They're trying to figure out what to do. And vulnerability is what is what triggers the empathy hormone, which is oxytocin. And that that chemical con cocktail, which is you know, dopamine, cortisol, and oxytocin, is irresistible. When that hits us, 
we are lost. And they've done fMRI studies that show when you're lost in a story, the same areas of your brain light up as if you were doing what that main character or storyteller is doing. We really are literally biologically on the same wavelength. So those three things really matter when you're telling a story. And that pulls us in immediately. I love people like you because I just like to tell a story. Now I get to understand all the chemicals behind it, the feelings behind it, and how to break it down because I think it's important. And and I love to learn from folks like yourself because it helps me to understand how to craft it better, you know, because I kind of know what it takes to tell the story, you know, especially on stage. That's my craft. That's always been my craft. I'm not as good writing it because, I one, I don't have the patience, and two, I'm just not a good, uh, I'm a fairly decent wordsmith. I'm not good at English. How's that? I, <laughs> you know, I... <laughs> Here's the interesting thing that Jeffrey, you don't mind my saying, is that you, you believe it or not, if you pull in and you write something that hits those three marks, you do not have to be a good writer at all. I have read countless manuscripts that weren't, you know, well written by good writing standards, but you could have put them down because you're riveted with that internal change. I mean, that makes all the difference. What about timing, especially when you're talking about speaking the story? Mm-hmm. The timing of how you do it or the pace or cadence of that story, aren't those important too? I mean, yes, they absolutely are. But the most important thing is if you know what that story is about and what that internal change is going to be, then you can very easily hit those places because you're having whatever's happening externally forcing you or the character or whatever's happening to really reconsider what they believe in order to be able to solve that problem. So that, I mean, I personally believe that story is organic, that if you understand that model and that it's it, this, this, the problem is escalating in the same way that the character is struggling with how to solve it. Because again, stories are about how we change. It, they're about how we change what we believe. And I mean, that's why stories are, are I mean, the, the novels and the TV shows and the movies that we watch all change us. But when you're writing a story or you're going to tell a story in order to change how somebody sees something, which is what we are doing when we're trying to persuade anybody of anything, understanding that part of it and watching the external force someone to question a belief that they really, really held very strongly is what makes it escalate. And so as as what happens externally escalates, so does that internal struggle until finally they end up seeing what I like to call their misbelief for what it is, which is wrong. And I think in terms of the pacing, it just goes to the way that that grows, escalates and complicates. And it depends on, you know, how long you have to tell the story. Yeah. And I, I just love to listen to great storytellers. And, and, and now that I'm thinking about it, as you're talking to me, those stories that come from the organic, authentic self are a lot more, I don't know, not only believable, but entrancing in terms of I want to hear more, I want to hear more. And then the way it's done, I, you know, we, we know we got a lot of turmoil going on. You know, you're in Santa Monica, I'm sitting here in LAX uh, right now, and we're talking about what's going on around the country. And the, the other day, I saw a demonstration that where this a story was told. And the story was they had everybody lie down on the ground and just, and for nine minutes, just say, I can't breathe. Mm-hmm. I can't breathe. And that, that different kind of story, I mean, it wasn't much in terms of the words, but the words themselves were so poignant. And the fact they took the nine minutes and had people say it over and over and over, hundreds and hundreds of people, and I'm not even sure how many people there were, but holy crap, you know? 
Absolutely. And I think that is the whole point, because when we're watching, we're then empathizing with that vulnerability and we're literally feeling it as if it is. I have chill bumps right now. I have chill bumps. I mean, I, I, and I'm almost ready to cry because that to me was, you know, nine minutes of that. How poignant, how, how, how real, how raw. And um, that, that's a story. That's a, whoever, I don't even know who did that, but that that's a master storyteller. Yes, I, I totally agree with you. But it is that same feeling of vulnerability and then understanding what goes along with that, which is having no power and authority over you and there's nothing you can do. And it isn't just nothing you can do in that moment, but you know, it's systemic and realizing what caused that to happen. But first you have to feel like it's happening to you. And that's what good storytellers do. They make us feel what the character's feeling. And that's why, again, story isn't about the external thing that's happening. It's about how that's affecting somebody internally, you know, based on what they believe and the way they see the world. And in that case, the power they either have or don't have in the world. Yeah, that's very, you're right. That is so powerful. So powerful. All right. Speaking of storytellers and powerful, I need to take a quick break and I'll be right back. C-Suite Radio. Hey, that was a good story from uh, one of our advertisers. We appreciate that so much. We're live right here on LinkedIn and Facebook as we're doing a live cast of All Business with Jeffrey Hazett right here on C-Suite Radio. Now, C-Suite Radio, world's largest business podcast network. I love this network. Well, I own it, so I should love it. And certainly one of the headliners, we've got over 200 podcasts on this network and we're growing. We'll be at 300 before the end of the year, so it's exciting. So don't forget to tell your friends about not only just All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, but all the shows right here on C-Suite Radio. Hey, I'm talking with Lisa Crone. She is a storyteller extraordinaire, and she is here to help us uh, craft our own story. She's an author, a speaker, and a story uh, coach. And so why do you think people love stories so much? Uh, I think it's because stories literally hardwired into the architecture of our brain. We think in story. And the reason we love stories so much is literally so we'll pay attention to it. That great feeling that we get when we're lost in a story, it's not arbitrary, it's not ephemeral, it's not pleasure for pleasure's sake. It's literally there so we'll pay attention because when you think about it, there's never been a society on earth that didn't have storytelling. It's a mm -hmm. universal. And the reason is, is because just think of story. I love saying it this way. Just think of story as the world's first virtual reality, you know, minus that really geeky vibe. Okay. Because without story, all we'd have is the now. And I don't care what Eckhart Tolle says, being in the now all the time is not a good idea. Because if you were always in the now, you wouldn't, you wouldn't even know there was a tomorrow, let alone be able to plan for, you know, the dangers and delights that, 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 that lurk there. Stories would allow us to step out of the present and so, and envision the future so we could plan for dealing with the thing that has scared us most from time immemorial. And that's the unknown and the unexpected story allows us from the safety of our own armchair to imagine those difficult situations and see not just what would I do, but what would it feel like? What would that really be like? As I'm, as I'm really fond of saying, story was more crucial to our evolution than our much touted, touted and you know, admittedly beloved opposable thumbs. Because all opposable thumbs do is let us hang on. It's story that tells us what 
lot to hang on to. And while originally a lot of it had to do with surviving in the physical world, because story is a survival mechanism, once we got that down for really the past 100,000 years, and particularly the last 10,000 years, story's really been about how to navigate the social world. And I, by that, I don't mean like the world of dating. I mean the world of other people. And that's really what we want to figure out. What makes other people tick? You know, what are you really thinking? Where am I safe and where am I not? Are you part of my team trying to help me? Are you trying to hurt me? And that's why we don't, we don't turn to story to escape reality. We turn to story to navigate reality. And the truth is we're affected by stories every minute of every day, whether we know it or not. And most of the time we don't. So I, I think it, it, storytelling is kind of like the first podcast. <laughs> yeah, really, 100%. It really was. So um, I think, it, you know, right now is a perfect time to write a book. What led you to write your first book, Wired for Story? What led me to write Wired for Story is, is quite frankly, the fact that I have a really big mouth. <laughs> and I felt that I had stumbled on something that could really help writers that was the opposite of what they'd been taught. And that time, writers were, were my world, and I knew what it took to write a novel. It takes a very long time. It takes blood, sweat, and tears. And I've spent my whole career working with writers uh, for more decades, and frankly, I want to admit to being alive. And in that time, my job in one way or another has been to read and analyze manuscripts. And sadly, 99.9% .9 of those were like different shades of dreadful. And mm. You know, it's one thing to know when someone's making a mistake. Like we all know when a book is bad or a movie's bad or your neighbor's doing something you think is really dumb. But like what that mistake is and how to correct it was something else. So what I realized was, was that what was supposed to pull me in and that I was supposed to love, which is good writing and a rip-roaring plot, could be shockingly boring, like just crickets. So I thought, well, what is it that's pulling me in if it's not that? And what I realized is, it's what we've been talking about. It's the way those things are affecting someone. The first thing actually that we are wired to go to when any story grabs us is, who's the main character? What is their intention? What is their motivation? What do they want? How is what's happening up here in the plot affecting them in terms of that and what they believe they need to do in order to achieve their agenda? And once I realized that, I thought that was my theory. Like, that's what writing is. And luckily for me at that time, neuroscience was burgeoning. And I've loved to read neuroscience for the same reason I love to read novels, because they're both about the exact same thing, which is what makes people tick. Why, why do other people do what they do? Why do I do it? But I do. And at that point, I realized that what I thought of as, you know, my theory that I'd made it up was actually biological fact. We are wired for story. And that's why I think it helps not just writers, but everybody. Because story story. And what we come for in a story is exactly the same, regardless the format, regardless the genre, regardless the length. Because think about it. We had story long before there were movies or novels or TV shows. You know, story is the same if you're trying to write ad copy or pitch a product or, you know, convince your teenage son not to text and drive. It's always the same. So, you know, that's what led me the, to the, the stories don't have to be true either. I mean, I, no. I, in business, I hear stories all the time and stories sometimes are just that they're stories. They're not, they're not based in truth, but we believe them to be truth because they're such a great story. That's very so we've, yeah. we've got to watch out for that. You know, I hear when I'm listening to you talk, I'm thinking most of this is applicable 
certainly to a novel, to the pieces, to good morals, uh, things that we would teach our children, things that we would teach each other, but it's just applicable in business as well. Oh, and I think that's very, very important. So what pointers do you have for people who aren't dedicated storytellers? Let's ask that question and then I'm going to come right back after this message. C-Suite Radio. Hey, we're back. We're uh, broadcasting or livecasting right here on C-Suite Radio. And of course, we're doing that on Facebook and LinkedIn as we bring to you All Business with Jeffrey is up. I'm talking with Lisa Cron. She is an author and a storyteller, a writer, and she's talking to us about storytelling. And right before the break, I was asking her, what pointers do, do you have for people who aren't dedicated storytellers? I mean, I would say that if you're trying to tell a story to change somebody's mind about something, which is, which is what we do. I mean, that is the only way we change our minds. As we know right now, facts don't tend to do it. And they really never did because when you give someone a fact, they don't understand the context. You want to put that fact into a context that shows them how what you want them to do is going to affect them. And that means if you are going to create a story to change someone else's mind, the, the hardest thing to do is to really step out of your point of view and try to see it from their point of view. And to do that, and this is the really tricky part, to do that without judging them, without rolling your eyes, without thinking they're an idiot, but really step in and not just go what they believe believe that's keeping them from, you know, following your call to action or hearing what you're saying, but why they believe it. And once you've done that, you can turn around and hopefully craft a story that's going to put them in the, you know, the mindset of, of their own mindset. Because often when you tell stories in, in business or to anyone, that main character is your audience. That, that is who you're, you're speaking to. And you can then have something happens that make them challenge that what I call misbelief with the truth and give them a realization at the end, which is where they see their misbelief for what it is, which is stopping them from getting what they want. And I could give you a really quick example, if you like. Sure. Uh, a friend of mine, Jane Prager, who taught strategic communication to graduate students at Columbia, and she uh, had her students, she broke them into two groups. And one group was to take young Democrats and convince them why using nuclear energy was important and should be in our energy portfolio. And then the other half was trying to convince young Republicans that that was a bad idea. And the example that she gave was with was what they did with the young Republicans and her students sat down and as opposed to judging anybody, did a lot of in-depth interviews, really open-ended, not being judgmental. And what they realized was, was that they needed to connect with them on an emotional level because everything we do is based on emotion. And that is a good thing, not a bad thing. And what they realized was, was that if they were going to give them an argument that said, we shouldn't use nuclear energy because it's bad for the environment, that was not going to fly because they did not want to be thought of as tree huggers. They realized that what mattered to them was national security. And so if they could frame what they were saying around a national security story, that's what would work. And so what they pointed out, and this is, pardon me, for this, this is really kind of scary, but that, you know, terrorists often target nuclear power plants. And even scarier, a lot of those nuclear power plants are not as secure as they really should be. Security is not so good around a lot of nuclear power plants. And to make it even more up close and personal, they pointed out that Indian Point Power Plant was about 30 miles outside of Manhattan, and so, which is where Columbia is. And so if something happened, 
you know, everyone was going to go up in smoke. And that's what changed their minds. In other words, they could see it from their point of view. They didn't try to take down their point of view. They told a story that, that brought them in and, you know, along with what they believed and were able to change how they thought about, you know, to some degree about, about the use of nuclear power. So, awesome. I love that. I, I, I saw also that you have a few interesting mottos. Now, among them, and I'm going to say these, let's get them out. Love the suck. Yes. Uh, if it's not a little scary, you're not doing it right. Yep. And the only wrong choice is not choosing. Okay. Yes. What made you think of those and how, how do you get to <laughs> loving the suck? That's, that's the one I want to get to. Okay. Let's, let's start, let's start with love with the suck. Love the suck. I read this wonderful memoir called the unforgiving minute uh, by a guy who went to West point. Um, and which is a place I never would have thought I would ever be interested in. And after I finished reading the book, I wish I was young enough to go to West point. It was just this brilliant memoir. And he was talking about just what it took. He was talking about when one night and they were doing exercises and they'd been out all night and they were in like, you know, mud up to their, up to their waist with hundred pound packs. And and so many people were dropping out at that point. And when he went by the guy who was like, you know, checking him off that he'd done it, the guy said, no, 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 so you're not just tolerating it. You got to love the suck. And that means every, anything you want to do is hard. That goes to the, if it's not at least a little bit painful or hard, you're not doing it right. Any kind of change is hard and you have to really love that part of it yeah. in order to really get through it. And if you don't love the suck, it's going to stop you. So I mean, writing's hard. Everything's hard. Anything worth yeah. doing is hard. And writing is particularly hard. So yeah. Well, if it was easy, everybody would do it. So yeah. on anything, on anything that we do, you know, riding horseback, you know, doing anything, yeah. you know, if it were easy, we could all do it. And that's not the case. It's only for those that really talk. So talk about if it, the wrong choice is not choosing. I like that one too. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people make that mistake where they go around and around and around and around and they weigh everything and they make one decision and they, they go back and they're not really sure. And I think that that leads to indecision. And I found so often, especially in writing, that just make a decision, go in a particular direction. If it's wrong, then you'll figure it out. You'll figure out why it's wrong. And almost always it leads you to a better idea. But if you don't make a choice, then you're, 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 you know, you're, you're marching in place forever. And a lot of people do that. So who makes a better author, a good writer or a good storyteller? Oh, a good storyteller. You can't be a good writer. I think that's a real misnomer. People talk about being a wordsmith or having a way with words. I mean, if you think about it, words are just, I mean, they're just sounds. It's the right. meaning inside the words that gives them their power. And like I said, I've read, I've read tons of manuscripts that weren't that well written, but that were riveting because the story was there. It's always Who's your there. favorite storyteller? Of all times. Who's my, oh God, that's really, I don't know. That's a hard one. You ever heard of Jerry Clower? No. Jerry Clower is the mouth of the South. He, he used to do stuff in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and uh, Grand Ole Opry, an old storyteller. If you ever get a chance to listen to some of his old wow. country stories, you will find him to be funny. Of course, he exaggerates a little bit, but he tells about the, Ar the, the Ledbetters, the Ardale, Udale. And all of his family and cousins and just in the, in growing up in Mississippi. And uh, I used to listen to him when I was a kid. And, of course, I listened to people like Skip Ross and Og Mandino and Norman Vincent Peale and 
Um, uh, you can name them. I, there's so many of them that are great storytellers. Thank you so much for being with us here today. It's been a pleasure to have you right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Thank you. It's a pleasure for me too. Hey, at the end of every show, I like to talk about what I learned. Before I do that, I want to tell you my next guest is September Dorman, the CEO of CEO Space International. We're going to be talking about CEOs and founders and what you need to be doing during this pandemic purgatory. But right now, I want to talk about what I learned from Lisa Cron by storytelling. And what I learned is that storytelling was the first podcast. It's the first trusted medium that we ever had because learning occurred by handing stories down through the ages. And that's why we're so receptive to it. So what's your story? Do you have a good story? Have you crafted it? You better learn because if you want to be believed and if you want to grow, storytelling is the way to go. That's what I learned right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. My next guest today is making it her mission to teach up-and-coming entrepreneurs tried and tested techniques and strategies to succeed in the real world. What do you need in order to raise capital? Well, we'll talk about that. What strategies can you implement to grow your business? How can you achieve gender parity in the C-suite? Now, there's an important one. September Dorman is the CEO of CEO Space International and can help us answer those questions. September, welcome to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So tell me a little bit about CEO Space International and tell me what it does. I know you, you just came off of another conference, I, I, as I saw here recently, or is there one coming up? We're right in the middle of two. We just did one a couple of weeks ago for capital only. So my husband, Bernie Dorman, I, th- I believe you know him. I do know Bernie. Yeah. Yes. We've shared the stage numerous times. Yes. Yes, you have. Uh, well, he founded CEO Space 30 something years ago. And so he specializes in the capital education and some leadership training. And we just completed a capital training course. And then here in a couple of weeks, we are going to be um, doing our virtual forum. And tomorrow I teach a systems class. So I'm very excited about doing that. I love teaching that class. It's good to see you so active and busy because right now everybody needs more and more help. I was just saying this before you came on. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nurse. You know, I can't sew a mask, but I am a business first responder. I consider you a business first responder. You know, we're out there helping businesses every day. And right now, many businesses are struggling to stay afloat. What are you telling these entrepreneurs to do to implement right now so that they can stay in business? What are you telling them, September? There's a couple of things that's pretty consistent, but I can tell you from the one-on-one work that I'm doing with a lot of our clients that it's really based on where they're at. And I'm finding that a lot of it is dependent on their mindset. So are they willing to shift? Are they willing to pivot? Are they willing to do things differently? How willing are they? That's the big question. And then from there, the two most common threads is what's the quality of your relationships and and how are you running your business in terms of systems? Like, are you overwhelmed? Are you wearing all of the hats running the day-to-day while you're trying to pivot, while you're trying to come up with new ideas? It's a hard place to be in. So we're going to separate all these little moving parts and start making sense out of all of them. Well, there's two big things that I really like that you said about that. And that's the relationship of people around you and then mindset. You know, a lot of people, it's tough, right? Right. You know, people are starting to feel sorry for themselves. Like, oh my gosh, can't believe this happened to me. I got it. Get over it. I mean, you got to change it, right? That's the first thing. So what's the biggest thing that you're telling them in that mindset that they've got to do every day? Uh, Open their mind. Stop stop being in the fear track. You know, we have the fear track and kind of like a hope track. And it's really helping them see what opportunities are around them. When you're in fear, you've got blinders on. You can only see what you're afraid of. You can only see what terrifies you, what 
the negative possibilities are. And it's very real. Those negative possibilities are very real and it can absolutely take totally. place. Yeah. But you got to look at the flip side of that coin. What are the positive things that you have around you? Who do you know and who do they know? And what, what knowledge do you have? A lot of what I'm talking about is what's your skill set and how come you're not packaging that? Because if it's a problem that you solve for yourself, it's very likely a problem that your customer's having. So why wouldn't we package that and create a new product out of it? And then we start coming up with strategies of how to do that. Uh, get that get that mindset going. Let me ask you, how, how are you harnessing the power of cooperative networking when everyone's still remote? I mean, because normally I go down to Texas, I'd be at your event, I'd be there or in Vegas. I know you guys do a lot of ones in Vegas too. Um, and by the way, I haven't been to one yet, so I can't wait to go to the next one. I think I'm coming, I'm doing one coming with you here very soon. The virtual forum. Yes, you're going to be Ooh, teaching. I'm excited by that. Finally, finally, I've got myself into the CEO <laughs> Space International. I'm in that space. I'm excited. So yeah. how, how are you harnessing all this power of cooperative networking when everyone's still everywhere else? Well, I was just having this conversation with a friend recently that there's a lot of content. And I think right now with everything being virtual, a lot of businesses like myself and a lot of business consultants are looking at the virtual aspect as a great medium. And we're we're kind of taking full advantage of that. But the challenge is, is that a business owner, we can get overwhelmed with all of the content that's out there. Oh, that's a great idea. Oh, that's a good strategy. I should try to do that. And we focus, we try to create a balance between content and networking. Because what we're finding is people are saying, content's great, but I need people. I need new relationships. I need connections to resources. So inside of CEO space, we don't teach people to, we actually teach people how to network. Let me start there. And so the first thing that we instruct them to do is when you're meeting with somebody, the conversation needs to go something like, what's your name? What are you working on? And how can I support you? So we believe strongly in the law of reciprocity and everything that we do within CEO space is based around that law. Oh, fantastic. Well, let's take a quick break and we're going to come right back. And I want to talk to you about your events itself. And we'll be right back after this message. C-Suite Radio. Hi, we are back and we're live casting right here on LinkedIn and Facebook as we bring you All Business with Jeffrey Hazel from C-Suite Radio. Don't forget C-Suite Radio, number one business podcast network, well over 200 podcasts. We're adding a new podcast about every other day. We'll be at about 300 by the end of this year. And it is the world's largest business podcast network and we're so excited. I'm very excited to be a, a headliner on the network, but you know, I own it. So what the heck, uh, you know, not only am I top one there, I own the thing. And we're talking right now live with September Dorman. She's a CEO of CEO Space International. They're doing events, bringing all kinds of training and motivation, education, inspiration to a lot of CEOs and founders out there. What can people expect when they attend one of your events, September? They can, well, first of all, it's, it's uh, Tuesday through Friday. So there is a time commitment. But yep. what we're doing on those calls is we're focusing on working on the business. This is a time for you to step away from the day-to-day -day and look at your business from a different perspective and say, what tweaks can I make in my business? We're not looking to throw the baby out with the bathwater because sometimes that makes you have to start from, from square one again. We just want to know what are the little things that you can do to adjust? A lot of it has to do with mindset. Um, in between the content and, and our content's an hour long and we look for very focused topics. What's the one principle that we want to teach our customers on this particular topic? Uh, and then we want them to be very interactive. So oftentimes our speakers will do breakouts or polling or uh, hot seats where somebody be put in a hot seat. 
And then in between the content, we have networking. So we'll put people in breakout rooms and rotate them around and do some games that we'll play with them, networking games and that sort of thing. So it's really an opportunity to one, work on your business, look at your business from a different perspective, two, expand your network, expand your relationships, meet new people, uh, contribute to other people. It feels so good to be able to contribute who you know, what you know to somebody else if they can take that and run with, with their business. That's important. Give, give, give. You get, get, get. Without question, that's number thing. She mentioned hot seats. Don't forget about that, folks. Hot seats, chapter 10, Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich, right there. That's where it began. And a lot of people still teach this today. I believe in it. And it's something you should always do. But you get into a room with other CEOs, other founders, done right, and you get the experience of a hot seat. Boy, it makes you nervous. But the things you get back, wow. We're talking about thousands or millions of dollars worth of training and insight right there. What do you think, September, is the number one problem that CEOs and founders are facing right now? I mean, COVID, we got COVID, it was shut down. <laughs> hell, and I'm sitting here in LA, we got riots, you know, but hell, in my own hometown of Sioux Falls, they had some problems, you know, with a bunch of hoodlums. But, uh, you, know, be, be, you know, beyond that stuff, what do you think, what's the, what do you think is the number one problem that CEOs are facing right now? I think they're being faced with the reality of the quality of the relationships. Now, in a, in a situation like this, in a global crisis like this, this is the time that we start leaning on each other. And we begin to realize who's really there, who really has our back in relationship, and who can I support 100%. So I think relationship is, is a big um, item that's in front of a lot of business owners' faces right now. And then also pivoting. We're having to step into areas. You know, we've wanted to go online for a long time, but we had our own fears around all of that. And the COVID has forced us into doing something that we thought we wanted to do. And it's yeah. the let go. It's that letting go of, of any preconceived notions of what you think it's going to be or how you think it's going to land. And just really trust that process. Um, something else that I focus on with the clients that I work with is what is your spiritual practice? I don't care what it is. You just have to have something. Is it meditating? Is it, is it taking a walk in nature? But what is that thing that grounds you, that centers you? Without that, we we have a lot of mind chatter, and that mind chatter can really scare the crap out of us sometimes if we al allow ourselves to listen to it. Yeah, well, my spiritual side of that is bacon. I love bacon. Just having bacon. <laughs> if I could have bacon, you know, that that just settles me down right there. But no, uh, you you need a little bit more than that. You need to balance that. You need you need good friends. You need good family. You need good business associates. And you need a good balance in spirit, too. I mean, that that comes from Stephen Covey. That's what he said. Seven habits of highly successful people. And there's four of them. That's four right there that you got to have that balance. And I'm a real believer in that. So we've um, what's been the most important business lesson? Maybe it is what you just mentioned, which was the speed of change. But business lesson you've learned through this pandemic that has been real important for you. That there is something far greater than me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's driving, true. driving my life, driving the community. And I'm constantly being reminded to let go, let go of anything that I of any ideas of how I think it should be. And I've been asking more of what is trying to emerge in my life? What's trying to come up in my life? What is the impact I'm supposed to be making? This is a perfect opportunity to pivot. It's perfect. It's a perfect opportunity to relaunch brands too. So if you've been thinking about, well, I want to polish up my brand. Maybe the name's not fitting like it used to. The culture's changed a lot. 
now is a great time to relaunch your brand, come up with that version 2.0 of how to take it to the next level and how you're serving people. But for me, it's really been a lot of uh, spiritual lessons at this phase in my life. This particular phase has been spiritual lessons for me. And it's moving with great speed. I keep telling everybody days are now weeks, weeks are now months, months are now years. So what would have taken you maybe two years to get to that digital model? You got to do in two months. I mean, you got no choice right now. Hey, speaking of no choice, I want to take a quick break and I'll be right back. C-Suite Radio. Hey, we're back and we're broadcasting live. I got September Dorman, the CEO of CEO Space Internationals. Man, there's a mouthful right there, but I'm telling you, well worth it, doing a great job teaching entrepreneurs and CEOs about business. I want to ask you this last question because I think it's an important one. It's about gender disparity in the C-suite, but particularly in the CEO space. What advice do you have for someone striving not to just reach the C-suite, but wants to be the CEO? Do it. Just do it. Jump in there. Again, it goes back to what relationships do you have? If you've got somebody who's already a CEO and you admire who they are and you're like, ah, that's who I aspire to be, build relationship with them. How can you support them? What can you do to make their life better? And, And ask them to mentor you. What skill sets do you need to improve on? What do you need to let go of within your personality or your habits that that is no longer serving you that somebody from an outside perspective can say, look, if this is where you're wanting to go, this is where I am. And I can tell you from where I'm at, from the outside looking in, these are the things that you need to grow. And these are the things that you need to let go of so that you can move up and come up with a strategy. Just come up with a strategy. Stop listening to the mind chatter and tell your body to take action. Tell your hand to send that email. Tell your mind to pick up the phone and make that phone call. Do not listen to the mind chatter. Just do it. Take action. I like that mind chatter point. You know, people ask me all the time, Jeff, how did you do what you did? Why did you do it? What about those little voices in your head? I said, I stopped listening to those little voices a long time ago. And, and, and listen, women out there, this is ridiculous. There's, there should be more women in the C-suite. There should be more women at the CEO level. It's, it's appalling. It's absolutely appalling. So go find a mentor. Go find a, go find a sponsor that will help you, help you get there because men have that all the time. Let me tell you, my buds, we're doing it. We're working for each other all the time. And my advice for a lot of women out there is you need to do the same thing. There's nothing wrong with it. In fact, you should be doing it. That's how but we didn't get there because of talent. We got there because of our network. We got there because of opportunities. We got there because other people were helping us go look for the same thing. And when it comes to the boards, I got to go, I'm, you put, listen, September, I got, you put a quarter in when I'm going for the full ride now, but like boards, are you kidding me? 17% of corporate boards are made up of women. That's appalling. Absolutely appalling. And even if we put a moratorium right now on that and said that every single position has to be filled by a woman, a talented executive woman, which there are tons of them out there, we would not be to parity in my lifetime. And that's, there's something to be said of that. So keep it up, keep working. September, thanks for joining us right here on C-Suite and being a part of C-Suite Radio today on All Business. It's been a pleasure and I can't wait to see you at your conference. I look forward to it, Jeff. Thank you so much for the opportunity. The end of every show, I like to talk about what I learned. I'll tell you what, what was kind of interesting uh, in talking to September. I loved what she said about the fear track or the hope track, that a lot of us are on that fear track and the hope track. Well, by the way, I think there's a track in between here called the do it track. And you're going to be a little scared and you want a little hope. We got to be a little bit of everything because you got to be scared. If you're not scared a little bit, you're not doing the right things. And if you're not hoping a little bit, 
then you're not doing, you know, everything you want to do to get to where you want to go. So I like to mix a little bit of both, both of those things. And let's get on the do it track, which is get it done. And that's the most important track. Okay. And that's the track to success. All right. That's what I learned right here on all business with Jeffrey Hazlett on C-Suite radio. Don't forget to tell your friends and tune in. See you again. You're listening to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by C-Suite Radio, a podcast network featuring today's top business experts and is part of the C-Suite Network, the world's most trusted network of C-Suite executives. Find this and other business podcasts on c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.